Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR. I hope your quarantine is going well and you're staying safe. As always, I am joined by fellow ETR co-founder Evan Silva. Evan, how's it going? How are you holding up, buddy? Good, man. Good. I'm just trying to, you know, stay positive every day and, you know, trying not to, um, you know, get close to anybody. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's no problem uh, not getting close to anybody. The problem for me is that uh, the kids are home and all over me. That said, a lot of time on my hands to go over the lot of this NFL stuff. On the site right now, you will find my fantasy winners and losers, all free stuff. Evan Pacarain and John Ferguson are taking part in a dynasty startup draft. Evan is live blogging that. Uh, Karain's updated his dynasty rankings to reflect all the latest news. Producer Luke continues to kill it in the YouTube game. Be sure to subscribe there. It's free. We'll keep posting clips on the ETR Twitter handle. Be sure you're following at Establish Run on Twitter. So obviously we're worried about all your guys' health, but we're also trying to keep you guys entertained and stay on top of all the NFL news. So head to establishrun.com. It's all free. Check it out. Speaking of news, since we last spoke on Thursday, Evan, there has been uh, kind of a second wave of moves. And it's kind of quieted down now. We're recording this on Tuesday, 1.30 p.m. It's quieted down a lot now. Robbie Anderson still hasn't signed, which we can talk about a little bit later. But there are some notable signings that happened in the second wave. I think the most notable for fantasy purposes was Melvin Gordon getting two years, $16 million from the Broncos. And there's uh, a lot of different takes about there, out there about how it's going to play out. I have uh, some pretty strong opinion about how it's going to play out, which I wrote about in the Fantasy Losers column. But I'm curious first, your take on Melvin Gordon and what you think will happen in Denver between Melvin Gordon and Phil Lindsay. I mean, I think that, you know, just our foundation can be what do the people covering the team think, uh, because they get a lot of their information from the team. And so, uh, you know, what does the, the team anticipate? And I think that the Broncos plan on um, utilizing Melvin Gordon as their 1A, Philip Lindsay as their 1B back. Philip Lindsay really, I mean, and I know that he's been excellent, but he he really profiles best as a change of pace back. And, um, you know, the, the Broncos coaching staff last year, which offensively was a little bit different, they had Rich Scangarello as their OC. Now they, they've moved on, moved on to Pat Shermer. You know, even last even last year, uh, they tried to minimize Philip Lindsay's role. Now he overcame that obstacle. By the end of the season, he was right back into the feature back role, playing ahead of Royce Freeman. But now they really went out and made a monetary investment into Melvin Gordon. Uh, Melvin Gordon is viewed as being better in the passing game than than Philip Lindsay is. Certainly, is a better option, like in scoring position down near the goal line. And I think that Melvin Gordon is going to be that one A to Philip Lindsay's. 1B. I just think that that's the, the likeliest scenario. They, they gave him a good chunk of money. He's really established in the league. He's better in specialized um, roles. Phil Lindsay might be straight up one for one better runner. Like I would not dispute that, but Melvin Gordon, a little bit more complete. Yeah. Oh, and, and the big thing to me for fantasy is when you're not the preferred option in the past game, which I don't think Phil Lindsay will be. He only has 70 catches in 31 career NFL games. Melvin Gordon, you know, 3.8 catches per game over the last couple of years when you're so, I don't think Philip Lindsay is going to be the guy in the past game in the two minute drill in the four minute drill on third down, that's going to be Melvin Gordon. And then I also, I mean, the Broncos have been very clear 
that they were looking for a big back. They used Royce Freeman at the goal line. I mean, Philip Lindsay is only 5'8", 190, Melvin Gordon 6'1", 215. And coaches have always liked to use Melvin Gordon, you know, around the goal line, going back to his days at Wisconsin. So when you're not the pass catching back, when you're not the goal line back, it's really, really hard to have fantasy value. So even if Philip Lindsay uh, is as good of a runner or better of a runner than Melvin Gordon, it kind of reminds me of like those Lions situations where they had like, Theoretic was the strict pass catching back and, and LeGarrette Blunt was the goal line back. And so Carrion Johnson was the best player, but he got all his work between the 20s. And it's just really hard uh, to have a lot of fantasy success that way. So to me, I think it's a quietly, a really solid landing spot for Melvin Gordon. I think he's going to go. I assume people's reaction initially was, well, he's not that good. He's in a timeshare. He, he goes from Phil Rivers to Drew Locke or whatever. Uh, I think it's quietly a pretty good landing spot for Melvin Gordon. And part of the reason I think that is because of what they've done on the offensive line, what they've done on defense. Signed former Lions guard Graham Glasgow, four years, $44 million deal. You mentioned in your, in your uh, tracker, Juwan James, Dalton Reisner coming back. So I'm optimistic about the Broncos' offensive line. And on defense, they added A.J. Boye. They added Drell Casey. Got the franchise tag on Justin Simmons. I know they lost Chris Harris, which hurts. But still, like, they could easily be a team that uh, leans on their running backs, uh, has short passes, and uses Melvin Gordon a lot. So I, I like the way it's setting up for Melvin Gordon. Uh, do you follow what I'm saying about the offensive line, the defense helping Melvin Gordon's role here? Yes, yes. I mean, I think that he's going to be, you know, 14 to 18 touch per game back. And uh, my concern is, like, how much are they really going to score? You know, are, yeah. are they going to be super aggressive offensively? How good is Drew Locke? You know, I think they definitely need to add a, another receiver, maybe even two. Corlin Sutton's a stud, but – I think we expect, you know, a uh, step forward from Noah Fant, but I think they still got a way to ways to go. And a lot of it's just going to come down to Drew Locke. I mean, you know, he, he looked pretty good uh, toward the, the back half of, of last season, but, you know, really small sample size. Um, a lot, like a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, just the ball kind of went his way uh, last year. And I think that he kind of benefited from that. And I, you know, over a 16 game sample, um, I think he's a major, major question mark. Yep, agreed. I do think if Drew Locke can play even at league average levels, Broncos have a chance to surprise some people this year. Let's move to a former Bronco, a longtime Bronco, Emmanuel Sanders, gets two years, 16 million as well, gets it from the New Orleans Saints. And, uh, you know, this number two wide receiver role in New Orleans, I'm not sure if it's because Traquan Smith and Ted Ginn aren't good enough or if it's just because they don't use this number two role in their offense. But for whatever reason, it's kind of been a dead zone. Do you think that Emmanuel Sanders is going to make this not a dead zone across from Michael Thomas? Um, I would say that I don't think it's going to be a dead zone, but I don't think it's going to be, uh, you know, highly lucrative from a fantasy standpoint. I mean, you know, you have an, a, a major alpha in Michael Thomas. You have another alpha in Alvin Kamara, um, who, I mean, they're not going to pull targets away from him. Jared Cook was incredible over the last 10 games of last season, averaged over 60 yards per game, scored nine touchdowns. Um, he really developed a lot of chemistry with Drew Brees, I think, uh, as the season progressed. Um, I just, I think that the the media kind of like perception of Emmanuel Sanders is greater than actually what his on-field contributions are, because I think he's like a good guy. And I don't know, he kind of like checks a lot of boxes that like, you know, people that, don't really pay really close attention to. He's good looking. Uh, he's good looking. He can, right? he can, he can dance. I mean, he, he, he really did not have a, a particularly productive season 
last year. I mean, he had he he was a ghost in the playoffs. Yeah. He had I'm just pulling it. He didn't. Yeah, he had 33 yards, zero yards, and 38 yards in their three playoff games. Uh, before that, he had gone over 61 yards once over his previous uh, nine games. So I mean, yeah. just I I think he's a, a a fine player, and I think he's a good role player, and I think he was a very fine real life pickup for the Saints. But in terms of fantasy production, no, this is not the old high flying Saints anymore. And he is like number four in line for targets. So, and I saw some argument about him on Twitter. Like someone was like, oh, he should be a lot 30 wide receiver. And I was like, no, like I, I have him like in the mid to late forties. And I was talking about this with uh, Dwayne, McFar- Dwayne McFarland. And I mean, he was in lockstep about that. He's like, he belongs in the forties. He's like a wide receiver four. Yeah, I, in to play devil's advocate on his numbers with San Francisco, we talked a lot last year when talking about DFS and stuff like that, how when San Francisco wins, they impose their will with their defense and their run game. And there just weren't a lot of attempts to go around, a lot of pass attempts to go around, a lot of receptions to be had. But that said, Emmanuel Sanders still was unable to produce. I do want to keep talking about the San Francisco wide receiver situation, though. I know you are optimistic on Debo Samuel. I mean, with Emmanuel Sanders gone, I think their depth chart now looks like Debo and Jalen Hurd and Kendrick Bourne is the top three with Dante Pettis and Richie James behind them. Um, You know, I don't think this is going to be any type of prolific pass game, but Debo was certainly very impressive. And if you're on team preseason, it was a very short-lived team preseason for Jalen Hurd last year, but it was very impressive. So I'm curious with Emmanuel Sanders now officially gone, where you're at with San Francisco wide receivers. Yeah, so and the 49ers do have two first-round picks now after trading DeForest Buckner to the Colts. They got the number 13 overall. That's like, you know, prime territory for like Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of these other uh, – uh, C.D. Lamb and some of these other dudes that are coming in who are just – I mean, a lot of these guys have potential to make immediate impacts. I think they're, they're really that legit. Um, but they could also use that. Like I've seen mock drafts that have come out, you know, uh, since the third wave of free agency kind of ended and – um, projecting them to take Javon Kinlaw to, repl- to replace DeForest Buckner. I think that they could use help in their secondary still. You know, so I- I'm not sure they're necessarily going to take a wide receiver, but I do think that there's a chance that they could, especially with uh, number 14, number 13 overall, and number 31 overall. Um, for Debo Samuel, I mean, he looks like a green light go right now. And it's not just because of what he can do as a receiver, but how – how aggressive they were using him in the running game. Like, I think that he could lead all the guy who's really been leading all receivers and um, in rushing attempts over the past few years is Robert Woods. And over the past two years, he's added 1.3 fantasy points per game to his total just from rushing. You know, I mean, that's, that's Mm -hmm. significant. Like that can win you a week fantasy, you know, head to head matchups in season long are decided all the time by 1.3 points or less, you know? So and I think that Debo Samuel could overtake him in that department as like the league's premier rushing wide receiver, which is not a statistic that we talk about that much. But I think that it's 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 becoming more and more like wide receiver rushing attempts are really, really efficient across the board. And Debo Samuel, I think, has a chance to lead all wide receivers in rushing and, and also take a big step forward uh, in terms of his receiving production. Yeah, and I think it's going to be sticky. Like yards after catch uh, per reception is a sticky stat, and I think Debo is going to be right there among the league leaders for a long time just in the way 
that he plays. You didn't give any love to my boy Jalen Hurd. Uh, assuming they don't draft a first round wide receiver, where can we have can Jalen Hurd be in the top one hundred and fifty? Yes, uh, he made an appearance uh, late in the preseason, the top one hundred and fifty last year. Uh, yes. Had to pull him out because he suffered like a year ending injury, you know. But um, we have to keep a, an eye on his back injury because. Uh, as of the Super Bowl, he was unable to make the flight to the Super Bowl because his back, you know, he couldn't sit on the plane yeah. uh, that long. So and it, going from what San Francisco to Miami, you know, that's that's a long, long way. So uh, we have to keep an eye on his back. But, dude, the upside on Jalen Hurd is incredible. I mean, just if everything comes together, he becomes a big slot. You know, he becomes like, you know, poor man's Marcus Colston because that's that's what he is. He's a big slot receiver. And he can run the ball and potentially even be used like in goal line situations. So if he somehow like was able to carve out the starting slot receiver job for the 49ers, which I think he very well could Debo Samuel primarily plays outside. And he were to somehow get involved in their running game and become a factor at the goal line. Like just imagine, you know, using a, a starting slot receiver with a goal line rushing equity. I mean, that would just be a lot of fun for sure. Uh, okay, let's move to Todd Gurley because last week on the uh, Thursday episode that we did last week, we talked about how we expected Todd Gurley to either be traded for pennies or uh, cut. And it turned out that he got cut by the Rams. They chose to eat, I believe, like $20 million in dead cap money. Todd Gurley signs a one-year $5 million deal with the Falcons. I mean, it's amazing. Dude is 25 years old, goes from top of the world, top of the NFL to a one-year $5 million deal from a fantasy perspective. I think this is like one of the best possible landing spots. He has like no competition. I mean, Ito Smith, Brian Hill, Quadre Allison. The problem is that this role, I mean, Devonte Freeman in this role last year was like borderline unusable in DFS. Like, you know, he was fine. He just couldn't find a ceiling, you know, and Brian Hill had his big chance and he flubbed it also. So this role I'm worried about. And obviously Todd Gurley's knee I'm worried about. I do want to talk about the Rams guys in a minute, but first let's focus on, how you think Todd Gurley fits with the Atlanta Falcons? Yeah, same as you. I mean, I think that this was a good landing spot. I think the fit is is strong. I think that he should be used more in the passing game in 2020 than he was last year for the Rams. I think he only had 31 catches. He did, although, you know, despite the concerns with his knee, and it's, I think it certainly affected his effectiveness because – you know, you just look at like almost any advanced stat, and he was average or below average in any advanced stat that you look at, whether, you know, on Football Outsiders or PFF or wherever, you know, he just, his effectiveness was way down. I think that part of that was due to their offensive line, which was one of the reasons that we were down on him entering last season. And um, I think the Falcons offensive line has a, take a, has a chance to take a really big step yeah. with uh, two first round picks at right guard and right tackle entering their second seasons. Jake Matthews is a really good left tackle and Alex Mack is a really good center and left left guard. James Carpenter comes back. I mean, he's just a returning starter. He's not very good, but you know, they, they have like a chance to have a very good offensive line. Finally. Yeah. Um, with, with Gurley. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I see it the same as you. His competition is weak. He did hold up for 15 games at 17 touches per game last season. So, you know, he didn't, like missed big chunks of time due to the knee. It was just, it impacted how effective he was. And I think he's going to be in a better situation to be more effective in Atlanta. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I think Todd Gurley, the question is going to be how healthy is he? And hopefully we'll get a read on that 
uh, come training camp because if he is healthy, this is certainly a really good spot. Although he was just uh, cut, um, he's still clearly the best player, the best running back on the Falcons right now. But more importantly, the thing that everybody's exciting about, I mean, I, I think that one of the biggest risers if you're doing best ball drafts right now has to be Daryl Henderson. I mean, everybody's going to be falling all over themselves to get Daryl Henderson after Todd Gurley's been released. Daryl Henderson, I mean, listen, they didn't like him last year. I mean, what Sean McVay does, uh, he doesn't play like anybody who's even close to the starting lineup in preseason. And Daryl Henderson played a ton in the preseason. In the regular season, he only had 39 carries and four catches all year in 13 games. Um, that said, extremely productive college player. And now it seems like they don't have a choice. I mean, Malcolm Brown is like so unappetizing and sluggish. So how many touches do you think Daryl Henderson can get and how high can Daryl Henderson get on draft boards before it gets just out of control? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think I have him right around 75th overall in the top 150 right now, RB 28 or something like that. Um, the Rams could still add it back. Uh, mm-hmm. Daryl Henderson could still end up being, you know, a 50-50 guy with Malcolm Brown. Um, their offensive line is, you know, still a big question mark. They have so many weapons in the passing game, though. I mean, they, they've got to be able to rebound. Like well, I, I did uh, Dwayne McFarland's show, and we were talking about how they really should become a a 12 personnel team with Tyler Higby and, um, and uh, Gerald Everett and, you know, maybe use Brandon Cooks as more of just a situational deep threat or, you know, not, not force a, a ton of snaps onto Cooper cups plate as they did last year. And then he really faded hard down the stretch. Yeah. Um, you know, just, they, they should be able to rebound and score points. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Daryl Henderson, like his pedigree coming out of Memphis was, just fantastic. I mean, he was he averaged almost nine yards per carry over his final two seasons, like in a big sample size. They ran a lot of um, like power gap plays at Memphis, though. And uh, the Rams with Todd Gurley as their running back have been very much inside outside zone. So and I, you know, I remember Matt Waldman, of football guys and uh, Jay Moyer, uh, who are like really, really, you know, in-depth um, film analysts. And they were talking about how Daryl Henderson just was not catching up with the, with catching on with the zone scheme. And so Mm -hmm. that's, they thought that's why he played so much in the preseason and, um, you know, just never caught on into a big role. And now they're, they, they moved on from Gurley who, you know, the whole offense and the whole running game was, you know, that was built upon and they changed their OC to uh, Kevin O'Connell. So I think that they may change their offense to suit, you know, they're, they're, they're you know, the, the guy that they traded up for in last year's draft. I mean, I think that there, there's definitely a possibility that they go with more gap plays. And if they use more two tight end sets, you know, I think that they're going to be a better blocking team um, because you can use a lot of deception with, uh, with 12 personnel. So um, I'm optimistic about him, but I, I don't, I'm not, I don't anticipate, you know, jamming him up a whole lot higher than around pick number 75 or so. Yeah, and I think he'll be sexy and, and he'll he'll probably end up with an ADP above that when it's all said and done. I was encouraged that um, that Daryl Henderson caught six balls in a preseason game and Malcolm Brown is such a zero in the past. I mean, Malcolm Brown played a ton last year and barely even had targets, let alone uh, catches. So from that perspective, I think Daryl Henderson uh, will have a nice floor, assuming it's just him and Malcolm Brown just because he plays in the past game uh, and Malcolm Brown does not. So... Yeah, we'll see on that, but certainly an exciting player to watch. 
Uh, let's keep going down the list here. Smaller signing, Eric Ebron, two years, $12 million to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Eric Ebron comes to Pittsburgh at a time where it coincides with everybody being down on the Steelers because they were so bad last year in the past game. However, a lot of that had to do with them not even playing a pro-style offense. When you play Devlin Hodges and Mason Rudolph, I mean, they just couldn't do anything in the past game. They resorted to uh, like single wing and just disastrous type offenses for fantasy. But Big Ben, he's still only, quote-unquote, only 38, says he's healthy, says he's ready to throw. Uh, and if OTAs were going on right now, he says he'd be throwing. So Eric Ebron comes in here, and I assume he's going to share time with Vance McDonald, but I'm curious what you think about that because Eric Ebron was a part-time player when Jack Doyle was healthy in Indy. It doesn't mean he can't be productive, but I'd rather see him as a full-time player. So how do you see Eric Ebron, Vance McDonald, and this Pittsburgh situation shaking out? Yeah, I just I like to buy low on you know we were talking earlier about uh, some offenses that uh, or on a, on a previous podcast about some offenses that we might like to stack in best ball this year and um, the Cardinals came up the Bengals the Giants I think the Steelers belong mm -hmm. in that mix I think that a lot of people are just going to kind of I mean I've been looking at like Juju Smith Schuster's ADP and in, in redraft and dynasty I mean it's it's around lower than it was last year. And all that happened was Ben Roethlisberger got hurt and Juju got hurt, you know? So people are really, really down on Juju. Um, Deontay Johnson is like, he's an incredible buy in any format of fantasy right now. He had in just a, a low key, like awesome, awesome rookie year. He was another guy who was a dominant dude in the return game in college. And uh, I think he's going to end up being a major, major hit for the Steelers at wide receiver. They've, had, they've obviously had a lot of those. James Conner, I mean, I've seen him ranked so low uh, by other fantasy rankers. I've got him RB17, and that's like way above where I've seen him uh, ranked. And then, you know, look, bet, it, all, it all comes down to Ben. Like, it's going to fall through, like, you know, the, everything's going to fall apart if Ben gets hurt again. But I think that just at the prices, all that these guys cost right now, and I don't think that they're going to rise a whole lot uh, heading toward the season. We're not going to have off-season workouts. There's not going to be like off-season hype or anything like mm -hmm. that. Um, and I think that Eric Ebron definitely falls into that bucket as a guy that, you know, he's probably going to end up with an ADP around tight end 15. And, I mean, if he scores eight or nine touchdowns, he's going to be, um, you know, tight end six. And uh, I think that, that I think it, it's, it's a great landing spot for Eric Ebron. Obviously, we would like to just have Vance McDonald out of the way. Vance McDonald ranked last among all tight ends last year in yards per route run. Um, you know, obviously, he was not in a very good situation, but I think that uh, they, I think that they're going to move forward with Eric Ebron as the primary pass catching tight end. Yeah, let's talk about what Eric Ebron leaves behind with the Colts. We didn't spend a lot of time when we talked about Philip Rivers on guys like Jack Doyle and T.Y. Hilton. And also, I would note the Colts, as Evan mentioned, gave up the 13th pick for DeForest Buckner, so they're not in play to select one of these uh, standout wideouts in the draft. But yeah, I mean, Jacoby Brissett was too cautious at times, um, was inaccurate at times. I think they get an upgrade in Phillip Rivers. How much of a bump do you think guys like Jack Doyle and T.Y. Hilton get this year with Brissett now acting as a very expensive backup? I think it's it's considerable. Um, I think it's, it's significant. Um, First of all, there's just not a whole lot of target competition for T.Y. Hilton in Indianapolis. I mean, we could definitely talk about like Zach Pascal and Paris mm -hmm. Campbell as sleepers. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. Um, but right now, T.Y. Hilton is clearly at the top of that heap. There's not a whole lot of uh, competition. Really, I mean, we're talking about like Mo Alley Cox, you know, who's just who's been, you know, a, a very limited role player 
so far for the Colts, challenging uh, Jack Doyle. Jack Doyle, Jack Doyle is clearly at the top of that heap. And yeah, I mean, I think that I think that the the Colts are first of all, you know, there's just so much familiarity in the coaching staff between Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni and and Philip Rivers. They were all together uh, with the Chargers, and they're you know they're not going to need offseason workouts. Like they're just going to be ready to go when everything starts. And I think that that gives them them an advantage. And I think that Frank Reich is just so good at like looking at his personnel, assessing the the, the strengths, assessing the weaknesses maximizing the strengths and minimizing the weaknesses. And he knows all about Phillip Rivers. And, um, you know, this, and they have a great, great offensive line where they're returning all five starters. So, yeah, I think that this, uh, you know, and they, they play indoors. Like, I think that this offense is going to, is going to take a big step forward. I think that Jacoby Brissett was, you know, clearly not the answer. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, okay. Let's talk about uh smaller signing. Marcus Mariota goes to the Las Vegas slash Oakland Raiders two years, 17.6 million. Seven point five million guaranteed in twenty twenty is a decent amount. It's it's on the high end of the backup range for sure. Do you think that's a sign that they want him to push Derek Carr? Do you think Marcus Mariota can push Derek Carr? And how do you see the quarterback situation shaking out there with the with the Raiders? I mean, they're clearly not in love with with Derek Carr. I mean, they tried to go after Tom Brady. You know, they give Marcus Mariota a, a pretty significant deal: two years, seventeen point six. Uh, that's very high-end backup money. Um, and then uh, he also has the potential in his deal to make up to $47.5 million. Yeah, I saw that. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But, I mean, hey, you know, if he becomes their starting quarterback that's and, and he's good, that's what he's going to be worth. Yeah. No, so, nice job by his agent for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they, they got like a high floor, high upside deal. No question. Yeah. Um, you know, but <clears throat> I, I think that – Derek Carr is still like the heavy favorite, especially just what we've seen from Marcus Mary over the past three years. I still think that Derek Carr is, is a, a pretty good favorite to start 16 games. But I mean, if he does start to struggle, then I mean, I think that, you know, that, then we have a, a legitimate quarterback controversy. The Raiders paid Marcus Mariota like a guy that, you know, is kind of like fringe worthy competition to start type of guy. For sure. Uh, one other small item here, as expected, Cam Newton was released. You know, I, I find it interesting that uh, the Bears uh, preferred Nick Foles uh, to Cam, and there's been a lot of smoke around uh, Cam going to the Chargers. Maybe I saw uh, a friend of the show, Mike Leone, suggest that the Bills should look at Cam as backup to Josh Allen. Obviously, they have a ton of connections there. Um, I don't know. Cam Newton versus Nick Foles, it seems like if healthy, I mean, God, Cam is a way better option. I think as we've talked about, nobody knows if Cam is healthy and nobody may be even able to find out due to what's going on with Corona. But what was your reaction? Where do you think Cam uh, should land? And would you rather have Foles or Cam if you were the Bears? I mean, it's not even close. <laughs> it's not even close. I'd much rather have Cam Newton. You know, I've done enough ripping of the Bears. Like, um, but I, I just like, yeah, I mean, that that's not even close. I, I think that Cam, the health is still – the biggest obstacle because he had Liz Frank surgery in December and we're only in March and, you know, teams are shutting down their facilities. Like, so, yeah. Um, I what don't about Ty, what about Tyrod versus cam for the chargers? Who would you like I that? Mean, I think that cam would just smash him you know, yeah. in, 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 in any kind of a competition. It's just, it's just like, can cam even walk right now? Like, right. I, don't, I don't even know. Will he be, be able to walk in even three months? Like, Liz Frank fracture surgery is 
that's no joke. And, and he, and he put it off, you know, um, I mean, he didn't have it immediately after he suffered the injury. He put it off until December. You know, they, they were kind of hoping that he would come back at some point and that's why he did it. So it made sense at the time, but now with you know everything that's going on in the world, like he is the most effective player in the NFL. For sure. Uh, sticking with uh, Panthers quarterbacks, I have to talk about this just as a uh, XFL fanboy. Philip Walker was the first XFL player to sign uh, with an NFL team. As expected, the Panthers give him a deal. Meanwhile, I don't know how, but the Panthers got a fifth round pick for Kyle Allen. So now it's just Teddy Bridgewater, Philip Walker, and Will Greer. And I've seen people like Lewis Riddick suggest that Philip Walker uh, can beat out Teddy Bridgewater. He's a better player than Teddy Bridgewater. Obviously, Philip Walker knows Matt Rule played four years. Uh, for Matt Rule uh, at Temple. And Philip Walker, you know, I mean, anybody watched the XFL, it was obvious Philip Walker was the best player, the MVP. There was no doubt about it. He was also in the most quarterback-friendly system for statistics. I mean, June Jones was zero tight end, throw on 70% of your plays, uh, four and five wide receiver base. All that said, Philip Walker executed the scheme uh, impeccably. And it was only five games, but impeccably. So uh, I don't think that Philip Walker is a realistic bet to beat out Teddy Bridgewater, uh, maybe that's a bad take. I hope that. I mean, that'd be cool if he does for the XFL. I just don't see that, especially after they gave Teddy Bridgewater $33 million. But what was your reaction to Philip Walker signing with the Panthers? Yeah, I mean, Philip, pretty much the same as yours. I mean, Philip Walker wasn't very good at Temple, first of all. And he wasn't very good in the NFL preseasons. I mean, he was up and down, I guess you would say. And then all of a sudden he just exploded under June Jones and they had a really nice uh, receiver core. And, you know, they just kind of, they could kind of spread, spread out the field and, you know, out athleted their opponents. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Philip Walker was one of the best athletes in, in the XFL. I think it's the NFL is a totally, totally different game. And I'm not sure. I don't know. Do you think that the quality of, I've been thinking about this. Like, do you think that the quality of, competition that Philip Walker faced in like an NFL preseason um, was similar or better or significantly worse than what he faced on an XFL field? Oh, I think from a talent level, the preseason is better. There's better talent in an NFL preseason game than there was in the XFL. I think that though the, the like preparation and scheming and all that was obviously like teams were actually teams. They weren't just out there like messing around. Uh, in the XFL. So yeah, I mean, God, the, the, some of the best players in the XFL were like guys who uh, could, you could barely even get on the field uh, in an NFL preseason, you know? So like Dan Williams and stuff like that. So, so yeah, I, I agree with you that I, I don't want to get too high on Phil Parker. It's just a fun story for sure. It's definitely a fun story and I'll, I'll be rooting for him for sure. Two other guys I wanted to mention before we jump off here, who we didn't spend a lot of time on last week. The first one being John Brown. We mentioned him briefly when we talked about the Steph Diggs deal. John Brown uh, was oddly consistent last year. Like he had more than 10 DraftKings points in 13 out of 15 games last year, but he only went over 20 DraftKings points twice all year. It's just with Steph Diggs coming in there and taking target share. I mean, Buffalo was 21st last year in pass attempts per game. Josh Allen was 32nd in completion percentage among qualifying quarterbacks. It's just hard for me to see Josh Allen supporting more than one wide receiver. So I had John Brown as a pretty significant fantasy loser I'm curious how much you knocked down John Brown in the top 150 uh, with Steph Diggs coming aboard now in Buffalo. Yeah, it's just his his consistency is really going to take a big hit. You know, you mentioned last year that he was consistent, which is not necessarily something that, you know, not 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 a viewpoint that a lot of people have about John Brown, but he was consistent. 
And now I think that he's going to really struggle for consistency. I think that all those guys are going to struggle for consistency. Cole Beasley was even consistent last year, but I think that with Diggs going in there and moving into that, I mean, just dropping Diggs into the Isaiah McKenzie role, you know, that's going to throw everything for a bit, throw every, everything into flux. And Devin Singletary, I think, you know, will be a bigger factor in the passing game this season. So will Dawson Knox. So I, I just think that, you know, <clears throat> you, you just take Josh Allen. Like, I, I think I'm going to have Josh Allen as my QB four. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, daddy. Yeah. I mean, Josh Allen, legit chance to rush for 7,800, 900 yards without a doubt. And then also take a step forward as a passer. I mean, he's not like drawing dead to like become a league average passer. Like it's unlikely maybe, but he's not drawing stone dead to do so. And Steph Diggs can only help. I mean, I think he's got like NFL MVP range of range of outcomes. Like, oh, yeah. You know, like 80 to one. Like give me some Josh Allen. Yeah. You know? I mean, and with Tom Brady gone, if you think that New England is going to take a step back, they have a legit chance to win the division. I mean, they would be my pick to win the division right now without a doubt. Uh, He he throws for 27, runs for 12. They go like, you know, 12 and four, win the division, win the Super Bowl. Josh Allen, (laughs) NFL MVP and Super Bowl MVP. Draft Twitter would just have to delete all of themselves if (laughs) if that happened. For those of you guys who don't know, Josh Allen was like, the enemy of draft Twitter. Like I've never seen a, a draft Twitter hate a prospect more than they hated Josh Allen. And I don't even follow draft Twitter that closely, but I think that's a fair statement, right? Evan, I mean, they hated Josh Allen. Yeah. And I mean, I think that they've been right to some extent, like yeah. they have been right about uh, his passing acumen. He's just, he's wild. But I think that what, you know, we did not take into account enough. And I don't think that there was any reason to, because Josh Allen was not a great scrambler at Wyoming was just how much value he can add with his legs because he's been like, you know, top three rushing quarterback over the last two seasons. And, you know, that wasn't necessarily evident on his Wyoming tape or even in his statistics. Right. Okay. Last guy I want to get to today is Will Fuller because there's two ways this can go. You can either argue that with DeAndre Hopkins gone, that Will Fuller is going to see more targets and he's going to be able to produce on those targets. You could also argue that Will Fuller is not the type of player who can run the type of routes that DeAndre Hopkins ran, and therefore Will Fuller is not really going to see a role change. I honestly don't know where I'm at on Will Fuller yet. I think he's an awesome, awesome player. I understand that he's been hurt a ton, missed six games in 2017, missed nine games in 2018, missed five games last year. But let's say he stays healthy. Do you think he can fill some or a lot of what DeAndre Hopkins was doing, or are we still going to see the same role that Will Fuller was in before? Because there's a lot of different ways this can go, I think. No, I don't think that, I don't think he's, you know, similar to DeAndre Hopkins, but I mean, I definitely think that he can take a big, big spike in terms of his opportunity. I I did a, like a positive tweet about Will Fuller the other day. And like every, every response was like, Oh, but he's, you know, he gets hurt. Like, like, I don't know that. Yeah. Um, of course he has an injury history and that's going to keep a, a, a lid on his ADP. I mean, you know, th- this guy really, if you, I mean, I, I couldn't like, I'm, I'm doing a new top, top 150 and I'm like about 60% done with it. And, you know, I couldn't kept, you know, I, I wanted to push him up further every single time that I looked at him, mm-hmm. you know, and because his situation is so, so optimal, I understand that he's got an injury history but I also understand that players with injury histories don't always continue to get injured, you know, year after year, um, you know, so, and, and like, you know, this is a guy that you're going to be able to draft at like wide receiver 28 and gives you wide receiver six overall upside. 
and like nobody in his tier gives you that kind of upside, but he does, you know, yeah. and Hey, you don't have to start him in the weeks where he's inactive. Right. Okay. So if we get 13 weeks out of him, I mean, you know, like full, full speed ahead. And I think that that's what we can kind of hope for with Will Fuller, <clears throat> who absolutely has league winning upside. And I think that Kenny Stills in the second year in the offense also has um, some upside. Uh, and then, you know, because I mean, I'm not going to be trying to go after Randall Cobb or, right. you know, even David Johnson or, you know, the, the tight ends that they have. Yeah. Will Fuller is like the exact kind of player that I like to target in season long. I, I think guys are injury prone until they're not right. And I get that some guys are injury prone throughout their career, but like, I'm old enough to remember when Matthew Stafford was considered like the most injury prone player in the NFL. And then he just ripped off like five straight full 16 game seasons before this past one. Um, you know, so I, I understand that he's had soft tissue issues. He's had other issues. It is what it is. I, Evan's point that people forget is like when he's hurt, you don't take a zero. I think I'm good enough where my bench is going to be deep enough. I'm going to have a good enough team where I can survive the weeks where he's out. So to just, you know, pretend like, when Will Fuller is hurt that I take a zero, it's just, it's just a silly thing uh, to think about. So if you're up for grinding the waiver wire hard all year, if you're up for uh, managing your bench all year really well, then, you know, the injuries should if, not. If you're up you for much. trying to win. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I know all you guys listening to this are trying to win. Maybe you don't need to hear that, but yeah, Will Fuller, I think uh, if you're really getting an injury discount, I would be one that would think that would be extremely plus EV to take advantage of an injury discount on Will Fuller in best ball or season long drafts or whatever. All right, that's going to do it for this week's podcast. I'll actually be back later this week with the first ever solo pod on the ETR stream. I hope you guys listened uh, to the last Edge podcast that I did, talked, gave a little update about what's going on with me and what's going on with the podcast. So I hope you'll take, I think it's eight minutes long, take eight minutes to listen to the last Edge podcast. You can find that on iTunes Daily Fantasy Edge. So for producer Luke, for Evan. I am Adam. Stay safe, everybody, and good luck.